Part One of Iphigenia in Aulis by Euripides, translated by Theodore Buckley. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Persons represented. Agamemnon, read by Bob Neufeld. Old Man, read by Todd. Menelaus, read by Algy Pug. Achilles. Read by Denny Sayers. Messenger. Read by Elizabeth Clatt. Ephigenia. Read by Amanda Friday. Clytemnestra. Read by Libby Gone. Chorus. Read by Elizabeth Clatt. Narrated by Charlotte Ducketts. Come before this dwelling, O aged man. I come. But what new thing dost thou mediate, King Agamemnon? You shall learn. I hasten. My old age is very sleepless, and sits wakeful upon mine eyes. What star can this be that traverses this way? Sirius, flitting yet midway between the heavens and the ocean, close to the seven Pleiades. No longer, therefore, is there the sound either of birds or of the sea, but silence of the winds reigns about this Euripus. But why art thou hastening without the tent, King Agamemnon? But still there is silence here by Aulus, and the guards of the fortifications are undisturbed. Let us go within. I envy thee, old man, and I envy that man who has passed through a life without danger, unknown, unglorious but I less envy those in honour. And yet tis in this that the glory of life is. But this very glory is uncertain, for the love of popularity is pleasant indeed, but hurts when present. Sometimes the worship of the gods, not rightly conducted, upturns one's life, and sometimes the many and dissatisfied opinions of men harass. I praise not these remarks in a chieftain, O Agamemnon, Atreus did not begat thee in a condition of complete good fortune, but thou needs must rejoice and grieve in turn, for thou art a mortal born, and even though you wish it not, the will of the gods will be thus. But thou, opening the light of a lamp, art both writing this letter, which thou still art carrying in thy hands, and again you blot out the same characters, and seal, and loose again, and cast the tablet to the ground, pouring abundant tears, and thou lackest not of the unwanted things that tend to madness. Why art thou troubled? Why art thou troubled? What new thing? What new thing has happened concerning thee, O king? Come, communicate discourse with me. But thou wilt speak to a good and faithful man, for to thy wife Tendaris sent me once on a time as a dower gift, and disinterested companion. To Leda, daughter of Theseus, were born three virgins, Phoebe, and Clytemnestra, my spouse, and Helen. Of this latter, the youths of Greece that were in the first state of prosperity came as suitors. But terrible threats of bloodshed arose against one another from whomever should not obtain the virgin. But the matter was difficult for her father Tyndarus, whether to give or not to give her in marriage, and how he might best deal with the circumstances, when this occurred to him, that the suitors should join oaths and plight right hands with one another, and over burnt offerings should enter into treaty and bind themselves by this oath. 
of whomsoever the daughter of Tindarth shall become wife, that they will join to assist him if any one should depart from his house taking with him and excluding the possessor from his bed, and that they will make an expedition in arms and sack the city of the ravisher, Greek or barbarian alike. But after they had pledged themselves, the old man Tindarus somehow cleverly overreached them by a cunning plan. He permits his daughter to choose one of the suitors, toward whom the friendly gales of Venus might impel her. But she chose, whom would she had never taken, Menelaus, and he, who according to the story told by men, once judged the goddesses coming from Frigid to Lacedaemon, flowered in the vesture of his garments, and glittering with gold, barbarian finery, loving Helen, who loved him, he stole and bore her away to the bull-stalls of Ida, having found Menelaus abroad. But he, goaded hastily through Greece, calls to witness the old oath given to Dindarus, that it behooves to assist the aggrieved. Henceforth the Greeks, hastening with the spear, having taken their arms, come to this Aulus with its narrow straits, with ships and shields together, and accoutred with many horses and chariots and they chose me general of the host, out of regard for Menelaus, being his brother, forsooth. And would that some other than I had obtained the dignity. But when the army was assembled and levied, we sat, having no power of sailing, at Aulus. But Calchas the seer proclaimed to us, being at a loss, that we should sacrifice Iphigenia, whom I begat, to Diana, who inhabits this place, and that if we sacrificed her we should have both our voyage and the sacking of troy but that this should not befall us if we did not sacrifice her but i hearing this in rousing proclamation bade talthybius dismiss the whole army as i should never have the heart to slay my daughter upon this indeed my brother alleging every kind of reasoning persuaded me to dare the dreadful deed and having written in the folds of a letter, I sent word to my wife to send her daughter as if to be married to Achilles, both enlarging on the dignity of the man, and asserting that he would not sail with the Greeks unless a wife for him from among us should come to Pythia. For I had this means of persuading my wife, having made up a pretended match for the virgin. But we alone of the Greeks know how these matters are. Calchas, Ulysses, and Nestor. But the things which I then determined not well, I am now differently writing so as to be well in this letter, which by the shadow of night thou beheldest me opening and closing, old man. But come, go thou, taking these letters to Argos, but as to what the letter conceals in its folds, I will tell thee in words all that is written therein for thou art faithful to my wife and house. Speak, and tell me, that with my tongue I may also say what agrees with your letter. I send to thee, O germ of Leda, besides my former dispatches, not to send thy daughter to the bay-like wing of Eubea, waveless Aulus, for we will delay the bridles of our daughter till another season. And how will not Achilles raise up his temper against thee and thy wife, showing great wrath at failing of his spouse? This also is terrible. Show what thou meanest. Achilles, furnishing the pretext, not the reality, knows not these nuptials, nor what we are doing, 
nor that I have professed to give my daughter into the nuptial chain of his arms by marriage. Thou venturest terrible things, King Agamemnon, who, having promised thy daughter as wife to the son of a goddess, dost lead her as a sacrifice on behalf of the Greeks. Ah, me! I was out of my senses, alas! And I am falling into calamity. But go, plying thy foot, yielding not to old age. I hasten, O king. Do not thou either sit down by the woody fountains, nor repose in sleep. Speak good words. But everywhere, as you pass the double track, look about, watching lest there escape thee a chariot passing with swift wheels bearing my daughter hither to the ships of the Greeks. This shall be. And go out of the gates quickly, for if you meet with the procession, again go forth, shake the reins, going to the temples reared by the Cyclops. But tell me how, saying this, I shall obtain belief from thy daughter and wife. Preserve the seal, this which thou bearest on this letter. Go, morn, already dawning forth, this light grows white, and the fire of the sun's four steeds. Aid me in my toils. But no one of mortals is prosperous or blessed to the last, for none hath yet been born free from pain. I came to the sands of the shore of marine Aulis, having sailed through the waves of Euripus, quitting Chalcis with its narrow strait. My city, the nurse of the sea-neighbouring waters of renowned Arethusa, in order that I might behold the army of the Greeks, and the ship conveying oars of the Grecian youths, whom against Troy in a thousand ships of fur our husbands say that yellow-haired Menelaus and Agamemnon of noble birth are leading in quest of Helen, whom the herdsman Paris bore from reed-nourishing Erotus, a gift of Venus, when at the fountain dews Venus held contest, contest respecting beauty with Juno and Pallas. But I came swiftly through the wood of Diana with its many sacrifices, making my cheek red with youthful modesty, wishing to behold the defence of the shield and the arm-bearing tents of the Greeks and the crowd of steeds. But I saw the two Ajaces' companions, the son of Oileus and the son of Telamon, the glory of Salamis, and Protocilius and Palamedes, whom the daughter of Neptune bore, diverting themselves with the complicated figures of drafts and Diomed rejoicing in the pleasures of the disc, and by them Moriety, the blossom of Mars, a marvel to mortals, and the son of Laertes from the mountains of the isle, and with them Nireus, fairest of the Greeks, and Achilles, tempest-like in the course, fleet as the winds, whom Thetis bore, and Chiron trained up. I beheld him on the shore, coursing in arms along the shingles, and he toiled through a contest of feet, running against a chariot of four steeds for victory. But the charioteer cried out, Eumelus, the grandson of Furies, whose most beauteous steeds I beheld, decked out with gold-tricked bits, hurried on by the lash, the middle ones in yoke dappled with white-spotted hair. But those outside in loose harness, running contrariwise at the bendings of the course, bathed with dappled skins under their legs with solid hoofs. 
close by which Pelides was running in arms, by the oar and wheels of the chariot. And I came to the multitude of ships, a sight not to be described, that I might satiate the sight of my woman's eyes, a sweet delight. And at the right horn of the fleet was the Phytheotic army of the Myrmidons, with fifty valiant ships. And in golden effigies the myriad goddesses stood on the summit of the poops, the standard of the host of Achilles. And next to these there stood the Argive ships, with equal number of oars, of which Euryalus, the grandson of Mecisteus, was general, whom his father Talius trains up, and Sithenelus, son of Capaneus. But Agamus, son of Theseus, leading sixty ships from Athens, kept station, having the goddess Pallas placed in her equestrian winged chariot, a prosperous sign to sailors. But I beheld the armament of the Boeotians, fifty sea-bound ships, with signs at the figureheads, and their sign was Cadmus, holding a golden dragon at the beaks of the ships. And Lytus, the earthborn, was leader of the naval armament, and I beheld those from the Phocian land. But the son of Oileus, leading an equal number of Locrian ships, came, having left the Fermian city. But from Cyclopean Mycenae, the son of Atreus sent the assembled mariners of a hundred ships. And with him was Adrastus, as friend with friend, in order that Greece might wreak vengeance on those who fled their homes for the sake of barbarian nuptials. But from Pylos we beheld on the poops of Gerenian Nestor a sign bull-footed to view, his neighbour Alpheus. But there were twelve beaks of Aenean ships, which King Gynius led, and near these again the chieftains of Elis, whom all the people named Epeans, and o'er these Eurystus had power. But the white-oared Taphian host led, which Medes ruled, the offspring of Phileus, leaving the island of Hindes inaccessible to sailors. And Ajax, the foster-child of Salamis, joined the right horn to the left, to which he was stationed nearest, joining them with his furthermost ships, with twelve most swift vessels, as I heard, and beheld the naval people. To which, if any one add the barbarian box, it will not obtain a return. Where I beheld the naval expedition, but hearing other things at home, I preserve remembrance of the assembled army. Menelaus, thou art daring dreadful deeds thou shouldst not dare. Away with thee, thou art too faithful to thy masters. An honourable rebuke thou hast rebuked me with. To thy cost shall it be, if thou dost that thou shouldst not do. You have no right to open the letter which I was carrying. Nor shouldst thou bear ill to all the Greeks. Contest this point with others, but give up this letter to me. I will not let it go. Nor will I let it go. Then quickly with my sceptre will I make thine head bloody. But glorious it is to die for one's masters. Let go. Being a slave, thou speakest too many words. O oh, master, I am wronged, and this man, having snatched thy letter out of my hands, O Agamemnon, is unwilling to act rightly. Ah, what is this tumult and disorder of words? My words, not his, are fittest to speak. 
But wherefore, Menelaus, dost thou come to strife with this man, and art dragging him by force? Look at me, that I may take this commencement of my speech. What, shall I, through fear, not open mine eyelids, being born of Atreus? Seest thou this letter, the minister of writings most vile? I see it, and do thou first let it go from thy hands. Not at least before I shew to the Greeks what is written therein. What, knowest thou what tis unseasonable thou shouldst know, having broken the seal? Ay, so as to pain thee, having unfolded the ills thou hast wrought privily. But where didst thou obtain it? O gods, for thy shameless heart! Expecting thy daughter from Argos, whether she will come to the army. What behooves thee to keep watch upon my affairs? Is not this the act of a shameless man? Because the will to do so teased me, and I am not born thy slave. Is it not dreadful? Shall I not be suffered to be master of my own family? For thou thinkest inconsistently, now one thing, before another, another thing presently. Well hast thou talked evil, hateful as a too clever tongue. But an unstable mind is an unjust thing to possess, and not clear for friends. I wish to expostulate with thee, but do not thou in wrath turn away from the truth, nor will I speak over long. Thou knowest when thou wast making interest to be leader of the Greeks against Troy, in seeming indeed not wishing it, but wishing it in will, how humble thou wast, taking hold of every right hand, and keeping open doors to any of the people that wished, and giving audience to all in turn, even if one wished it not seeking by manners to purchase popularity among the multitude. But when you obtained the power, changing the different manners, you were no longer the same friend as before to your old friends, difficult of access, and rarely within doors. But it behooves not a man who has met with great fortune to change his manners, but then chiefly to be firm towards his friends, when he is best able to benefit them, being prosperous. I have first gone over these charges against thee, in which I first found thee base. But when thou afterward camest into Aulus, and to the army of all the Greeks, thou wast naught, but wast in stupefaction at the fortune which then befell us from the gods, lacking a favourable breeze for the journey. But the Greeks demanded that you should dismiss the ships, and not toil vainly at Aulus. But how cheerless and distressed a countenance you wore, because you were not able to land your army at Priam's land, having a thousand ships under command. And thou besoughtest me, what shall I do? But what resource shall I find from whence? So that thou mightest not lose an ill renown, being deprived of the command. And then, when Calchas, or the victim, said that thou must sacrifice thy daughter to Diana, and that there would then be the means of sailing for the Greeks, delighted in heart, you gladly promised to sacrifice your child, and of your own accord, not by compulsion, do not say so. You sent your wife to convey your daughter hither, on a pretext of being wedded to Achilles. And then, changing your mind, you are caught altering to other writings, to the effect that you will not now be the slayer of your daughter. Very pretty, forsooth! This is the same air which heard these very protestations from thee. But innumerable men experience this in their affairs, 
they persevere in labour when in power, and then make a bad result, sometimes through the foolish mind of the citizens, but sometimes with reason, themselves becoming incapable of preserving the state. I indeed chiefly groan for hapless Greece, who, wishing to work some doughty deed against these good-for-nothing barbarians, will let them, laughing at us, slip through her hands on account of thee and thy daughter. I would not make any one ruler of the land for the sake of necessity, nor chieftain of armed men. It behooves the general of the state to possess sense, for every man is a ruler who possesses sense. Tis dreadful for words and strife to happen between brothers, when they fall into dispute. I wish to address thee in evil terms, but mildly, in brief, not uplifting mine eyelids too much aloft through insolence, but moderately, as being my brother. For a good man is wont to show respect to others. Tell me, why dost thou burst forth thus violently, having thy face suffused with rage? Who wrongs thee? What lackest thou? Wouldst fain gain a good wife? I cannot supply thee, for thou didst ill rule over the one you possessed. Must I, therefore, pay the penalty for your mismanagement, who have made no mistake, or does my ambition annoy thee? But wouldst thou fain hold in thine arms a fair woman, forgetting discretion and honour? Evil pleasures belong to an evil man. But if I, having before resolved ill, have changed to good counsel, am I mad? Rather art thou, who, having lost a bad wife, desirest to recover her, when God has well prospered thy fortune. The nuptial craving suitors, in their folly, swore the oath to Tyndarus. But hope, I ween, was their God, and wrought this more than thyself and thy strength. Whom taking, make thou the expedition. But I think thou wilt know that it is through the folly of their hearts, for the divinity is not ignorant, but is capable of discerning oaths ill-plighted and perforce. But I will not slay my children, so that thy state will in justice be well, revenge upon the worst of wives, but nights and days will waste me away in tears, having wrought lawless, unjust deeds against the children whom I begat. These words are briefly spoken to thee, both plain and easy. But if thou art unwilling to be wise, I will arrange my own affairs well. These words are different from those before spoken, but they are to a good effect, that the children be spared. Alas, alas, have I then wretched no friends? Yes, you have, at least, if you do not wish to ruin your friends. But how will you show that you are born of the same sire with me? I am born to be wise with you, not foolish. It behooves friends to grieve in common with friends. Admonish me by well-doing, not by painting me. Dost thou not then think fit to toil through this with Greece? But Greece with thee is sickening through some deity. Vaunt then on thy sceptre, having betrayed thy brother. But I will seek some other schemes, and other friends. Enter messenger. O Agamemnon, king of all the Greeks, I am come, bringing thy daughter to thee, whom thou didst name Iphigenia in thy palace. But her mother follows, 
the person of thy wife Clytemnestra, and the boy Orestes, that thou mayest be pleased at the sight, being away from thine home a long season. But as they have come a long way, they and their mares are refreshing their female feet by the fair flowing fountain, and we let loose the mares in a grassy meadow, that they might taste fodder. But I am come before them to prepare you for their reception, for a swift report passed through the army that thy daughter had arrived, and all the multitude comes out hastily to the spectacle, that they may behold thy child. For prosperous men are renowned and conspicuous among all mortals, and they say, Is there a marriage on foot? Or what is going on? Or, has King Agamemnon, having a yearning after his daughter, brought his child hither? But from some you would have heard this. They are initiating the damsel in honour of Artemis, Queen of Aulis, who will marry her. But come, get ready the baskets which come next, crown thine head. And do thou, King Menelaus, prepare a nuptial lay, and through the house let the pipe sound, and let there be noise of feet, for this day comes blessed upon the virgin. I commend your words, but go thou within the house, and it shall be well, as fortune takes its course. Alas, what shall I, wretched, say? Whence shall I begin? Into what fetters of necessity have I fallen? Fortune has upturned me so as to become far too clever for my cleverness. But lowness of birth has some advantage thus, for such persons are at liberty to weep and speak unhappy words, but to him that is of noble birth all these things belong. We have our dignity as ruler of our life, and are slaves to the multitude. For I am ashamed indeed to let fall the tear, yet again wretched am I ashamed not to weep, having come into the greatest calamities. Well, what shall I say to my wife? How shall I receive her? What manner of countenance shall I present? And truly she hath undone me coming uncalled amidst the ills which before possessed me. And with reason did she follow her daughter, being about to deck her as a bride, and to perform the dearest offices where she will find us base. But for this hapless virgin, why call her virgin? Hades, as it seems, will speedily attend on her nuptials. How do I pity her? For I think that she will beseech me thus, O oh, father, wilt thou slay me? Such a wedding mayest thou thyself wed, and whoever is a friend to thee, but Orestes, being present, will cry out knowingly words not knowing, for he is yet an infant. Alas, how was Priam's son, Paris, undone me by wedding the nuptials of Paris, who has wrought this? And I also pity her as it becomes a stranger woman to moan for the misfortune of her lords. Brother, give me thy right hand to touch. I give it, for thine is the power, but I am wretched. I swear by Pelops, who was called sire of my father and thine, and my father Atreus, that I indeed will tell thee plainly from my heart, and not anything out of contrivance, but only what I think. I, beholding thee letting fall the tear from thine eyes, pitied thee, and myself let fall a tear for thee in return. And I have changed my old determinations, not being wroth against you, but I will place myself in your present situation, 
and I recommend you neither to slay your child, nor to take my part. For it is not just that thou shouldst groan, but my affairs be in a pleasant state, and that thine should die, but mine behold the light. For what do I wish? Might I not obtain another choice alliance, if I crave nuptials? But having undone my brother, whom at least behooved me, shall I receive Helen an evil in the place of a good? I was foolish and young before that. Viewing the matter closely, I saw what it was to beget children. Besides, pity came over me, considering our connection, for the hapless girl who is about to be sacrificed because of my marriage. But what has thy virgin daughter to do with Helen? Let the army go, being disbanded from Aulus. But cease thou bedewing thine eyes with tears, my brother, and exciting me to tears. But if I have any concern in the oracle respecting thy daughter, let me have none. To thee I yield my part. But I have come to a change from terrible resolutions. I have experienced what was meet. I have changed to regard him who is sprung from a common source. Such changes belong not to a bad man, to follow the best always. Thou hast spoken generous words, and becoming Tantalus, the son of Jove. Thou disgracest not thy ancestors. I commend thee, Menelaus, in that, contrary to my expectation, you have subjoined these words rightly and worthily of thee. A certain disturbance between brothers arises on account of love, and avarice in their houses. I abhor such a relationship, mutually sore. But, for we are come into circumstances that render it necessary to accomplish the bloody slaughter of my daughter. How? Who will compel thee to slay thy child? The whole assembly of the armament of the Greeks. Not so, if at least thou dismiss it back to Argos. In this matter I might escape discovery, but in that I cannot. What? One should not too much fear the multitude. Calchas will proclaim his prophecy to the army of the Greeks. Not if he die first, and this is easy. The whole race of seers is an ambitious ill. And in naught good or profitable, when at hand. But dost thou not fear that which occurs to me? How can I understand the word you say not? The son of Sisyphus knows all these matters. It cannot be that Orestes can pain thee and me. He is ever changeable, and with the multitude. He is indeed possessed with the passion for popularity, the dreadful evil. Do you not then think that he, standing in the midst of the Greeks, will tell the oracles which Carcass pronounced, and of me, that I promise to offer a sacrifice to Diana, and then break my word, with which, having carried away the army, he will bid the Greeks slay thee and me, and sacrifice the damsel? And if I flee to Argos, they will come and ravage and raise the land, Cyclopean walls and all. Such are my troubles. Oh, unhappy me! How, by the gods, am I at a loss in these present matters? Take care of one thing for me, Menelaus, going through the army, that Clytemnestra may not learn these matters before I take and offer my daughter to Hades that I may fare ill with as few tears as possible. But do ye, O stranger women, preserve silence. 
Blessed are they who share the nuptial bed of the goddess Aphrodite, when she is moderate, and with modesty obtaining a calm from the maddening stings, when love with his golden locks stretches his twin bow of graces, the one for a prosperous fate, the other for the upturning of life. I deprecate this bow, O fairest Venus, from our beds, but may mine be a moderate grace, and holy endearments, and may I share Aphrodite, but reject her when excessive. But the natures of mortals are different, and their manners are different, but that which is clearly good is ever plain. And the education which trains men up conduces greatly to virtue. For to have reverence is wisdom, and it possesses an equivalent advantage, viz. to perceive what is fitting by one's mind, where report bears unwasting glory to life. Tis a great thing to hunt for the praise of virtue, among women indeed, by a secret affection, but among men, on the other hand, honour being inherent, bears that praise, honour, which increases a state to an incalculable extent. Thou, Ernest, O Paris, where thou wast trained up a shepherd with the white heifers of Ida, trilling a barbarian lay, breathing an imitation of the Phrygian pipes of Olympus on a reed, and the cows with their well-filled udders browsed, when the judgment of the goddesses drove thee mad, which sends thee into Greece, before the ivory-decked palaces, thou who didst strike love into the eyes of Helen, which were upon thee, and thyself wast fluttered with love. Whence strife, strife brings Greece against the bulwarks of Troy with spears and ships. Alas, alas, great are the fortunes of the great. Behold the king's daughter Iphigenia, my queen, and Clytemnestra, daughter of Tyndarus. How are they sprung from the great, and to what suitable fortune are they come? The powerful, in sooth, and the wealthy, are gods to those of mortals who are unblessed. Let us stand still, ye children of Chalcis. Let us receive the queen from her chariot to the earth, not unsteadily, but gently with the soft attention of our hands, lest the renowned daughter of Agamemnon, newly coming to me, be alarmed, nor let us, as strangers to strangers, cause disturbance or fear to the Argive ladies. Enter Clytemnestra, Iphigenia, and probably Orestes in a chariot. I regard both your kindness and your favourable words as a good omen, and I have some hope that I am here as escort of my daughter to honourable nuptials. But take out of my chariot the dower gifts which I bear for my girl, and send them carefully into the house. And do thou, my child, quit the horse-chariot, setting carefully thy foot delicate and at the same time tender. But you, maidens, receive her in your arms, and lift her from the chariot. And let some one give me the firm support of his hand that I may beseemingly leave the chariot-seat. But do some of you stand in front of the horse's yoke, for the uncontrolled eye of horses is timorous, and take this boy, the son of Agamemnon, Orestes, for he is still an infant. Child, dost sleep, overcome by the ride. Wake up happily for thy sister's nuptials, for thou thyself being noble shalt obtain relationship with a good man, the godlike son of the daughter of Nereus. 
Next come thou close to my foot, O daughter, to thy mother, Iphigenia, and standing near show these strangers how happy I am, and come hither indeed and address thy dear father. O thou most great glory to me, King Agamemnon, we are come, not disobeying thy bidding. O mother, running indeed! But be thou not angry. I will apply my breast to my father's breast. But I wish, rushing to embrace thy breast, O father, after a long season, for I long for thy face, but do not be angry. But, O oh, my child, enjoy thine embraces, but thou wert ever the most fond of thy father of all the children I bore. O father, joyous do I behold thee after a long season. And I, thy father, joyously behold thee. Thou speakest thus equally in respect to both. Hail! But well hast thou done in bringing me to thee, O father. I know not how I shall say, yet not say so, my child. Ah, how uneasily dost thou regard me, joyfully beholding me before. A, a king and general has many cares. Give thyself up to me now, and turn not thyself to cares. But I am altogether concerned with thee, on no other subject. Relax thy brow, and open thy eyes in joy. See, I rejoice as I rejoice at seeing thee, child. And then dost let fall a tear from thine eyes. For long to us is the coming absence. I know not what you mean. I know not, dearest father mine. Speaking sensibly, thou movest me more to pity. I will speak foolishly, if I so may rejoice you. Alas, I cannot keep silence, but I commend thee. Remain, O father, in the house with thy children. I fain would, but not having what I would, I am pained. Perish war and the ills of Menelaus. What has undone me will first undo others. How long a time wast thou absent in the recesses of Aulis? And now also there is something hinders me from sending on the army. Where say they that the Phrygians dwell, father? Where would that Paris Priam's son had never dwelt? And dost thou go a long distance, O father, when thou leavest me? Thou art come, my daughter, to the same state with thy father. Alas! What would that it were fitting me and thee to take me with thee as thy fellow-sailor? But there is yet a sailing for thee where thou wilt remember thy father. Shall I go, sailing with my mother, or alone? Alone, apart from thy father and mother. What? Art thou going to make me dwell in other houses, father? Cease! It is not proper for girls to know these matters. Hasten back from Phrygia, do, my father, having settled matters well there. It first behooves me to offer a certain sacrifice here. But it is with the priests that thou shouldst consider sacred matters. Shalt thou know it, for thou wilt stand round the altar. What? Shall we stand in chorus round the altar, my father? I deem thee happier than myself, for that thou knowest nothing. But go within the house, that the girls may behold thee, having given me a sad kiss and thy right hand, being about to dwell a long time away from thy sire. O oh, bosom and cheeks, O oh, yellow tresses, how has the city of the Phrygians proved a burden to us, and to Helen? I cease my words, for swift does the drop trickle from mine eyes when I touch thee. Go into the house, but I 
I crave thy pardon, daughter of Leda, if I showed too much feeling, being about to bestow my daughter on Achilles. For the departure of a girl is a happy one, but nevertheless it pains the parents when a father, who has toiled much, delivers up his children to another home. I am not so insensible. But think thou that I shall experience the same feelings, so that I should not chide thee, when I lead forth my girl from the nuptial rejoicings. But custom wears away these thoughts in the course of time. I know, however, the name of him to whom thou hast promised thy daughter, but I would fain know of what race and whence he is. Aegina was the daughter of her father, Asopus. And who of mortals or of gods wedded her? Jove! and she gave birth to Iacus, prince of Inone. But what son obtained the house of Iacus? Peleus, and Peleus obtained the daughter of Nereus. By the gift of the god, or taking her in spite of the gods? Jove acted as a sponsor, and bestowed her, having the power. And where does he wed her? In the wave of the sea? Where Charon dwells at the sacred foot of Pelion. Where they say that the race of centaurs dwells. Here the gods celebrated the nuptial feast of Peleus. But did Thetis or his father train up Achilles? Charon, that he might not learn the manners of evil mortals. Ha! <laughs> Wise was the instructor, and wiser he who entrusted him. Such a man will be the husband of thy child. Not to be found fault with. But what city in Greece does he inhabit? Near the river Apidanus, in the confines of Thea. Thither will he lead thy virgin daughter and mine. This shall be the care of him, her possessor. And may the pair be happy. But on what day will he wed her? When the prospering orb of the moon comes around. But hast thou already sacrificed the first offerings for thy daughter to the goddess? I am about to do so. In this matter we are now engaged. And wilt thou then celebrate a wedding-feast afterward? Having sacrificed such offerings as it behooves me to sacrifice to the gods. But where shall we set out a banquet for the women? Here, by the fair-pooped ships of the Greeks. Well, and poorly, forsooth. But it may nevertheless turn out well. Do then thou knowest what, O lady, and obey me. In what? For I am accustomed to obey thee. We, indeed, in this place, where the bridegroom is, will do what without the mother of those things which it behooves me to do? Will bestow your daughter among the Greeks. But where must I be in the meantime? Go to Argos, and take care of your virgins. Leaving my child? And who will bear the nuptial torch? I will furnish the light that becomes the nuptials. The custom is not thus. But you think these matters trifles. It is not proper that thou shouldst mingle in the crowd of the army. It is proper that I, the mother, should bestow at least my own daughter. And it is proper that the damsels at home should not be alone. They are well guarded in their close chambers. Obey me. No, by the Argive goddess queen. But go you and attend to matters abroad, but I will mind the affairs at home as to the things which should be present to virgins at their wedding. Alas, in vain have I toiled, and have been frustrated in my hope, wishing to send my wife out of my sight. 
but I am using stratagems and finding contrivances against those I best love, overcome at all points. But nevertheless, with the prophet Calchas, I will go and ask the pleasure of the goddess, not fortunate for me the trouble of Greece. But it behooves a wise man either to support a useful and good wife in his house, or not to marry at all. The assembly of the Grecian army will come to Simois, and to the silver eddies, both with ships and with arms, to Ilium, and the Phelian plain of Troy, where I hear that Cassandra, adorned with a green blossoming crown of laurel, lets loose her yellow locks when the prophetic influence of the gods breathes upon her. And the Trojans will stand upon the towers of Troy, and around its walls when brazen-shielded Mars, borne over the sea in fair proud ships, approaches the beds of Simois by rowing, seeking to bear away Helen, the sister of the twain sons of Jove in heaven, into the land of Greece, by the war-toiling shields and spears of the Greeks. But having surrounded Pergamus, the city of the Phrygians, around its towers of stone with bloody Mars, having torn off the heads of the citizens cut from their necks, having completely ravaged the city of Troy, he will make the daughters and wife of Priam shed many tears. But Helen, the daughter of Jove, will sit in sad lamentation, having left her husband. Never upon me or upon my children may this expectation come, such as the wealthy Lydian and Phrygian wives possess while at their spinning, conversing thus with each other. Who, dragging out my fair-haired tresses, will choose me as his spoil despite my tears while my country is perishing? Through thee, forsooth, the offspring of the long-necked swan, if indeed the report is true, that Leda met with a winged bird when the body of Jove was transformed, and then in the tablets of the muses fables spread these reports among men, inopportunely and in vain. Enter Achilles. Where about here is the general of the Greeks? Who of the servants will tell him that Achilles, the son of Peleus, is seeking him at the gates? For we do not remain by the Euripus in equal condition. For some of us, being unyoked in nuptials, having left our solitary homes, sit here upon the shore. But others, having wives and children, so violent a passion for this expedition has fallen upon Greece, not without the will of the gods. It is therefore right that I should speak of what concerns me, and whoever else wishes will himself speak for himself. For leaving thee, Pharsalian land and Peleus, I am waiting for these light gales of Euripus, restraining the Myrmidons, who are continually pressing me, and saying, Achilles, why tarry we? What manner of time must the armament against Troy yet measure out? At any rate, act, if you are going to do anything or lead the army home, not abiding the delays of the Atrides. O son of the goddess, daughter of Nereus, hearing from within thy words I have come out before the house. O oh, hallowed modesty, 
who can this woman be whom I behold here, possessing a fair seeming form? It is no wonder that you know me not whom you have never seen before, but I commend you because you respect modesty. But who art thou, and wherefore hast thou come to the assembly of the Greeks, a woman, to men guarded with shields? I am the daughter of Leda, and Clytemnestra is my name, and my husband is King Agamemnon. Well hast thou in few words spoken what is seasonable, but it is unbecoming for me to converse with women. Remain! Why dost thou fly? At least join thy right hand with mine, as a happy commencement of betrothal. What sayest thou? I give thee my right hand? I should be ashamed of Agamemnon, if I touched what is not lawful for me. It is particularly lawful, since you are going to wed my daughter, O son of the sea-goddess, daughter of Nereus. What marriage dost thou say? Surprise possesses me, lady, unless being beside yourself you speak this new thing. This is the nature of all people, to be ashamed when they behold new friends, and are put in mind of nuptials. I never wooed thy daughter, lady, nor hast anything been said to me on the subject of marriage by the Atreides. What can it be? Do you turn and marvel at my words, for thine are a marvel to me? Conjecture. These matters are a common subject for conjecture. For both of us, perhaps, are deceived in our words. But surely I have suffered terrible things. I am acting as a matchmaker in regard to a marriage that has no existence. I am ashamed of this. Perhaps someone has trifled with both me and thee. But pay no attention to it, and bear it with indifference. Farewell for I can no longer behold thee with uplifted eyes, having appeared as a liar, and suffered unworthy things. And this same farewell is thine from me. But I will go seek thy husband within this house. End of part one.